Trinidad and Tobago, rated as one of the happiest places on earth, a paradise known for steel pan, calypso and carnival. But there's more to this twin island nation. It's Trini Isis fighters. In this series, we explore various aspects of the radicalization issue to gain different perspectives and insights on the experience of one small country. To counter violent extremism means understanding how it became rooted. Terror in the Caribbean. Phantom or fact? Our episode begins. If you were to do a search of the internet of strategies being used by countries to counter violent extremism, there'd be numerous pages. While governments across the globe continue to battle terrorism and work with each other across borders, it has become more and more obvious that the lack of social structures creates a psychological void. It is this void that is filled by purveyors of illicit activity and denigrative ideology. Young minds become their feeding ground, and the thought of crime and radicalization becomes appealing. How do countries solve this issue? What can be done to fix the problem by tackling the source? In Trinidad and Tobago, several non-profit organizations are very active within communities where there is a lack of economic mobility and where deflated morals can often lead the youth and others astray. Several of these non-profit entities and their supporters are loosely referred to as the Safe Community T. Chatting with a few of them allows us to understand how we address the issues that result in various forms of crime and violent extremism. Gunshots is the hypnosis of subconscious tweaking. Infrared tends to show where the heat is. Strapped to his hip, a burning blade bound to burn him back one day. This is how the black boy is defeated. Invisible infrared to the normal eye, but you see it to turn man into ghost. Not because you drink the spirits mean you're a god, but these things have you seen backwards, so you call your friends dog. Bring Climbing on the rooftop to turn enemy into sacrifice. Now the boy body is just a wooden box waiting to become casket. A cartel taxidermy if you ask it. Who embalmed them boys with the seaters, the real enemy? The easiest thing for a hungry stomach to swallow is the greed grown energy. That what it seems to mean to live is being in a gang of thieves who leave dreams to create scenes of rob and kill. Not everything that is copper or lead is a bullet. Not all ghettos produce ghetto youth, so it's time for you to speak the truth. Cause it doesn't matter where you're from, this thing is not ascribed. So so let's stop our young boys from dying You are liberated, educated and everything in between Nothing labeled less than a winner You could give a boy a gun but it's up to him to pull the trigger oh. Keys Productions Cameron and Darren 
Trinidadian spoken word poet Derek Sandy is the artistic director of the Two Sense Movement, perhaps the leading spoken word poetry organization in the Caribbean. Darren has used spoken word as an art form to not only build self-esteem among the youth, but as a way for them to express themselves. Darren shares his experience and insight with us. The performance arts are very important in terms of using it as a, a vehicle, as a platform, a foundation for helping you to understand different parts of themselves. So with the Two Sense movement, well, primarily we do spoken word poetry and um, or performance poetry, as some people call it. And uh, we will have not just performances with them, but the performances will usually be followed by workshops where we teach them the craft as well and teach them different ways they could use the craft. Sometimes it's very personal. Sometimes we get them to respond to different social issues that might be of importance for them because that's what the two cents movement is all about. Two cents meaning your opinion, what's your two cents on, on something and allowing you to recognize how important their opinions are in um, shaping society, shaping how they think and things that they want to do themselves. So that's what we do at the Two Cents Movement. Also work with another NGO called the Keys Foundation. And we use spoken word poetry as well, but also more performance theater, a wider range of performance for that. And of course, it's the same thing, getting you to express themselves, to find out new things that they may not have known about themselves before. And it's always an interesting journey and you could use that as the foundation to introduce many other different things. Um, I mean, many different factors could drive somebody to join a gang or to join an extremist group. But primarily, it's to me, it's just the youth or the underprivileged person feeling like they have no control over their narrative except through this violent mean, right? There's no way for me to overcome poverty except through crime, right? There's no way for me to respond to perceived injustice except through this form of violence. So they get involved into those things. However, when you engage in the performance art and you realize now how you could control a narrative through words, then that translates into your life many times. And many of the youth that would have joined our programs, they, after a while, of course, the undergo behavior changes when they start to realize, I don't have to act up this way in the classroom because I could be this other person. So I think many times you just don't get the opportunity to see themselves doing something different in the absence of violence and crime and they end up making an unfortunate choice sometimes. When asked about his experience with members of his community who joined ISIS, he told us about one of his interactions. Interesting story actually. When we designed the program for Little Fire, um, well, I, I for sure knew of a family in a building close to where the street I live on in Maloney that went to ISIS, that went to fight. They have all died since then, unfortunately. And then there was a guy that I grew up playing with on the next street. Only recently I found out that he went and died as well, but apparently he was there for a long while. But when we were designing the program for Little Fire, Somebody else in the safe community was telling me that there was a family in Maloney and asking me if I could help that family. They were saying that the family went across to ISIS and the mother with the two children returned and they had to stay overnight in Turkey and it was problems coming back and they eventually got back. 
but the younger child had no birth paper, etc, etc. So, you know, I was kind of trying to do research to find out who was the family. Little fire started and continued for about two months. And it's only after the two months we realized that the girl was in the Little Fire program. The girl that um, came back from ISIS. We never made a big scene out of it. We continued as usual. But watching her make that transition and growth has been experience. I could only sit back and really smile. And, you know, thank the creator above for the work that you were able to put in because we were not going after her. She fell into the program based on a teacher recommending that she go there because of behavioral issues and we not knowing that she actually are we, right, with her father and now well, her father has since passed. In the case of the young girl, her reintegration has been positive so far due to the nurturing and guidance of a group like Two Cents Movement. To break through the fetters of economic disadvantage means creating a space and safe place for innovation and creativity. Fostering a spirit of entrepreneurship and implementing programs that build self-confidence are keys. Motivational speaker, media personality and mentor Nicola Harvey of the We Say Yes Foundation explains to us how we get to the heart of the matter in order to intercept issues that may spiral out of control. She starts by explaining some of the driving factors based on her work in Port of Spain, the capital of Trinidad and Tobago. For me, I think there are several driving factors. They're socio, they're economic, and I don't want to say so much political, but from a socio-economic perspective, I see it in terms of one, not having the income or being part of a low-income household, single-led, family, female-led households, I should say. Um, I would talk about the education levels not being the top education level. So they tend to, in our areas, in the at-risk communities of the East Border Spain area, what I've seen is that they don't go to the best primary schools or secondary schools. In addition to that, they don't get the best education, which means that they don't come out with their 5 levels, and as a result, they will not get job opportunities available to them, equally available. And because of that, they're just left on their own. There are not many support systems that are in place to say, okay, fine, a child who comes out of school with less than 5 levels, what can we offer them? Yes, there's MyLat, and yes, there's the CCC and whatever else, but somehow they're not attracted to those programs as, you know, we would like. And therefore, because they're not, they end up liming on the block and then getting involved with crime and other gang activities involved. So for me, those are some of the issues, the parental, lack of parental guidance, the male person not involved in their lives, the fact that they're not achieving as well as they should academically and therefore not getting employment. And there is also a lack of employment opportunities, even for those who get five O levels and you're looking for a job, you can't find a job. And therefore, what else can they do? It's obvious that the road to solving the socio-economic issues will be a long, winding road and not an overnight solution. Sensei Marva of the Rio Dan Dojo has developed a model built on sports and community-mindedness. She's located in one of the hot spots in Trinidad, known for gang activity and also for ISIS recruits. She explains what her model for success has been and what the challenges are. 
that model talks about collaboration. It talks about working with different stakeholders. It talks about bringing to the table persons, the beneficiaries that are directly affected within your community, giving them a voice and a space, put young persons in charge of their own solutions and implementation of projects and get parents on board with that as well. The model we call the Sports Plus model, a holistic approach, speaking to martial arts, speaking to netball, football, academic, entrepreneurship, parenting. We're talking about mentorship and, of course, succession planning, which is lacking in many organizations and even many governments. We always have a young team modeling our older team, make sure that if we are not there, things run smoothly and they are part of the solution. One of the greatest challenges that we continue to have is the stigma of communities like enterprise. Um, creating safe spaces mean we need corporate buy-in, we need government buy-in, and sometimes they don't see it as being important in these communities that are branded in a negative light. Then the crime factor will always be a challenge. We have so many different religions as well within the community. Sometimes that itself is a challenge getting and religious body to come together and work in the community without trying to propagate their own religion, but we work on what is common to us and similar issues to bring about positive change. And I pray God that people who hear in this, especially corporate that really take a different look because when you touch one life, you just save a generation. So I want to really appeal to corporate Trinidad and Tobago, come on board, not only with Rudan Dojo, but what community positive groups that have there that are trying to make and create safe spaces to provide positive opportunity for young people and families in trouble communities. So no longer it will be branded as a hotspot in a negative light, but it will be branded as a hotspot, which is a holistic oriented, talented community will have a lot of entrepreneurs make any difference for a cause. So when we lift our voices together and we pen our policies and interventions and our programs, we do it together as a team you're going to get success. We do not condemn. And that is what makes Rudan a little more different from a lot of other organizations. We do not just teach a sport. We teach a discipline that applies to every aspect of our beneficiary and our participants' life. I will tell them, first and foremost, you must be passionate about what you want to do. Don't look for any rewards in return. Be honest. Have an open mind. Do not condemn, do not stigmatize, do not blame, do not waste energy on distraction. Stay focused and always, always have your beneficiary as your end goal because you want to make sure they are the one that benefit from all your policies, your programs, your interventions, everything, because they are the ones who will tell your story at the end of the day. They will be the success story. And always remember, your organization is not the only one have the answer. Every other person have a piece. So you need to work with others as well. Collaboration bring more change than ever. When you stand alone, the fight is greater for success. But when you collaborate as a team, your fight becomes easier. The arts and sports are two lifestyle aspects that provide a forum for the youth in communities to not only realize their potential, but also build their self-esteem, establish a sense of belonging, and plant their aspirations in a positive direction. In Trinidad and Tobago, several community projects directed at creating positivity 
were made possible by the United States Embassy. We asked a representative of the U.S. Embassy in Trinidad why they are supportive of such projects. Public Affairs Officer Adam Jagelski explains. We have invested in a number of different programs just throughout the country, but particularly in, in areas where we see where maybe a certain number of individuals traveled to Syria and Iraq. We have seen the positive part about this interaction. You know, we brought people together. Yes, we did convene people, but then they themselves started interacting with each other and developing these great programs together and supporting each other. So these are, you know, one thing that, that the embassy is proud of is that we brought together quality people who didn't know each other before, or didn't know each other well in some cases. And then we gave them an opportunity to work together through our grants and support, which is, you know, both financial support, but it's also moral support and, and support of their programs. So, for example, we had the You Done Know program, which affected over 100 kids. But all these programs together are impacting numbers, you know, hundreds and hundreds of children and youth, not just young children, but also middle-aged children who are in their teens and, and even beyond that as well. So other ones that I uh, wanted to mention, for example, would be the Little Fire program or the Yuffit program, which works with the youth in Sealots, the Creating Champions program that works with youth and parents in the enterprise area. And certainly the enterprise, you know, the TTPS, turned into Tobago Police Service in enterprise, has noticed a, a market decrease in violent crime in that area. We think we're having an impact in some of these areas. Certainly, each one of these programs has metrics that it's measured against. And the youth, you know, are showing a change in their perceptions. What we see, the social science data shows us, is that communities that have greater linkages are stronger communities. They're more resilient to any threat coming, right? Whether that be drugs or guns or violent extremism or gangs. If you have strong linkages between your community, the community is indeed stronger and can resist these other you know, threats that come at the community. So that's what we're trying to do uh, with the multi-faith initiative is create those linkages between in the community so that different faiths are talking with each other and they'll actually follow up a program where they do something very small together at start. Maybe it's just having coffee together or tea together. And then they do a small project together. I'd also say that sustainability is important. Yes, you have civil society out there doing good programs, but civil society needs the support, needs the moral support as much as the financial support of government and private sector to say what you're doing is important. What you're doing actually helps my business because people are going to be more likely to come out on the street and visit my shop if they're feeling comfortable, if they're not feeling threatened. And they need the support, of course, as in any country, you need the support of the government to say, these are worthwhile programs, what you're doing is important, and it's better for our society when these programs exist. So they need that sustainability, and we need to systematize that. But truly, when you're trying to confront violent extremism or provide a positive alternative to that, it has to be a whole-of-society effort. So it can't just be you know private sector, government, and civil society, but also like the faith the church organizations, the universities, for example, to be more specific. All different components need to be supporting and creating those community linkages. You know, I think in the modern day, yes, we're in the modern day, but guess what? It still takes a village to raise a child, right? 
children who go to school need to know that they are valued so that there's a desk for them to sit at, you know, that there's counselors there to help them deal with some of the, maybe the violence or the trauma they're experiencing in their daily lives. It really does have to be a whole society effort. At the time of this podcast, December 2019, the government of Trinidad and Tobago has not implemented a national strategy for countering violent extremism. There are two groups in Trinidad and Tobago who have been vociferous in their view that the Trinis who went to Syria should be brought back home. But there are many members of the population, including Islamic leaders, who think otherwise. The question of child soldiers and evidence that they've also been trained and have committed heinous acts. The fact that some women are also soldiers. The use of young girls and other realities of psychological conditioning remain. In this audio clip, we hear the voice of a young teenaged boy. He's around 14 years old. A gruesome video clip was circulating on social media and featured on several news sites. He's thought to be one of the Trinidadian children who grew up in an ISIS camp. The graphic video of him committing a beheading. Oh, America, these are the soldiers you are and you spend money on to fight the Sharia of Allah. We will destroy them, the Ibn Allah, as we destroy the Sahawat of Iraq. You can't escape from coming on the ground. And we shall meet you at the heads of Derby. How does one erase the emotional scarring and the embedded ideology of radicalization? Efforts by the government to address gang recruitment and radicalization have been focused on community engagement strategies such as police youth clubs. Such initiatives seek to address the issue of youth marginalization and the negative image of the police that may exist. What is not being addressed are the deep-seated issues that leave hollow elements in the lives of people who are already facing daily challenges. It's issues such as broken homes, lack of opportunities for economic and social mobility outside of academics, peer pressure from associates who are involved in illicit activity, and no true sense of belonging. Nothing is in place to deal with returnees, their de-radicalization, or the effect and impact that they will have on TNT society. What are the solutions, if any, to de-radicalization and re-assimilation into society? All it needs is the willingness by many, government, civil society, private sector, citizens of Trinidad and Tobago. This series is a project of the Caribbean Investigative Journalism Network, producing groundbreaking investigative stories. Visit our website at www.cijn.org.